Well, good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. Welcome to the first Sunday of the new year. 2021 is finally here, and I'm sitting here in my house today in front of my Christmas tree because I'm one of those annoying people who insists that Christmas doesn't end on December 25th. Rather, there are 12 days of Christmas. The entire Christmas tide season runs from December 25th through January 5th. And so Christmas isn't over yet, not for me at least. And so here we have our Christmas tree at home. And I'm excited today because one of the reasons that I love celebrating Christmas tide as a 12 day season is that Christmas bleeds in to the new year. And so then the new year becomes a kind of gift to us, a kind of Christmas gift. And this year, maybe more than any other year in my life, maybe even more than any other year in your life, it feels like we need a new year as a Christmas present to leave 2020 behind us. And so today I want to read to you a passage from the lectionary. That's the weekly reading that we often follow during these sort of high holy days of Christianity. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John chapter 1, and it's another one of those sort of hidden Christmas passages. There isn't an obvious Christmas reference in it, but what we have in this passage that we're going to read today is a kind of hidden representation of the gift of Christ to humanity that we celebrate on Christmas Day. So today I want to approach this a little bit differently. I want to read the passage to you. If you have your Bibles, it's John chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 13, and then I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and then I'm going to share with you just some of the things that I notice in this passage that I hope are helpful to you. So John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to start there. If you don't have your Bible with you, as always, we're going to put the words right up on the screen. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. And without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, all who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will or of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. That's our gospel reading for today. Would you just take a moment and pray with me and ask God to be present with us as we take a deeper look into these passages? God, thanks so much for today, for the the hope and promise of a new year as we enter into 2021. We ask that as we continue to read through this passage from the Gospel of John chapter 1, that you would breathe a new life, a new spirit, into each of us as we put the past behind us 
and look forward to the hope of a new day. God, would you be with all of those who have experienced so much trial and trauma and difficulty this year. We pray that you would be with those who've lost loved ones, either to the pandemic or to other uh, tragic consequences or illnesses. We pray that you would comfort them, that you would uh, help them to find hope and joy even in the midst of their grief. We pray that you would be with those who have suffered this year from the economic effects of the pandemic, who have lost their jobs, who have uh, been denied assistance, who have had dreams smashed or small businesses fail. God, we pray for all of these situations and ask that you would be present in the midst of that grief, present in the midst of that suffering, just as you are uh, in the person of Christ on the cross, suffering with those who have been accused, who have been marginalized, and who have been oppressed. We pray that you would pour out your presence into the lives of those who have struggled because of this year. And lastly, God, we pray that you'd give us hope, that you would give us the ability to recognize the new thing that you are doing in our lives this year, the new ways that you are birthing new expressions of love and peace and justice. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage is, of course, a famous passage, John chapter 1, verse 1. It's most famous because of this very first line right at the beginning of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And some of you, of course, know that the word that's being used here for word in John chapter 1 is the Greek word logos. John is doing something very intentional here. By the time John is writing this, this, this whole notion of the logos, right, that is the reason or the rationality or the mind of God has been a topic of philosophical discussion for hundreds of years in antiquity. The Greek Stoic philosophers talked a lot about this idea of logos. Logos was the notion that there is a kind of divine mind or a kind of divine design or purpose behind all of life. And the way that the, the ancient Greek Stoic philosophers referred to that was with this very same word, logos. It, it's where we get the word logic. And of course, that makes perfect sense because what the ancient Stoic philosophers believed was that there was a kind of logic behind life that made all of this make sense, even though so much of our lives often don't make sense. This, the essential idea was that there were these kind of ideal forms that represent all of the stuff of life. That there was an ideal form of a human, an ideal form of nature, an ideal form of animals, an ideal form of every object, literally, that exists in our world. That behind that, Behind that object was a kind of ideal form, a kind of godly or divine intention behind all of that. And all of that probably sounds perfectly reasonable to you. It's, it's an appealing notion that as we look around our worlds, that there is some kind of intention or reason or rationality behind all of it. Again, I think the reason that's an appealing idea is because it helps make sense of life 
that exists so often in the midst of chaos. Well, John is tapping into this very same conversation, and he's doing it quite intentionally. He's saying that in the beginning that this idea, this logos, this divine mind, this divine sense of reason or intention was there with God at the beginning. And of course, the, the, the ancient Greek philosophers would have agreed with that idea. One of the philosophers that uh, was living right around the time of Christ, right around the time that uh, John would have likely been writing this gospel was Philo of Alexandria. Philo was one of the the great ancient philosophers and was actually Jewish and lived in Alexandria, of course, in, in what's now the area of North Africa that we call Egypt. And Philo wrote from his position as a philosopher extensively about this idea of the divine logos. And the way that Philo talked about logos was he described the logos of God as a kind of architecture, that when we look around the world, when we see life the way it is, that what exists behind that is a God who imagined everything the way that everything would be, just the way that an architect imagines planning out a city, that God would have imagined all the roads and all the houses and the marketplaces and, of course, the, the central uh, public squares where people would gather and the auditoriums and and the, the governing buildings, everything that goes into a city, God would have imagined in advance, just like an architect imagines those very same things in advance and then goes to build them. Now, Philo's whole point in sort of imagining the divine logos this way is to give us this notion that in spite of all the chaos around us, that there is, again, a divine purpose or a divine intention beyond, behind that, that there is some purpose to it. But what John's doing here is he is tapping into that tradition of a kind of divine plan, and then he's subtly subverting it. And it's important, I think, that John subverts it because, of course, the problem with this idea of a kind of ideal form behind all of life is that even though it appeals to people's desire for a sense of order, even though it appeals especially to folks who are a bit more analytical or a bit more rational and gives them this notion that everything exists for a very particular reason and it has a kind of orderly function to it, in spite of that appeal, that tendency for it to comfort us, the reality is that what we tend to do is impose our own ideas and really our own biases upon those, quote, ideal forms. So, so it's very tempting for us to say that the world exists the way it is because of a kind of divine reason or a divine mind or a kind of godly intention, but what we're really doing is we're projecting our ideas of that particular reason, that particular order, that particular purpose. And so what we claim to be God's order, God's purposes, God's reason or rationality, really God's mind, is really just a projection of our own reasons, our own rationality, our own mind. And then it begins to reflect our own biases as well. It begins to reflect even our own pathologies, our own dysfunctions on what we call to be godly and good. Now, John recognizes this, I think. 
And so he intentionally subverts this sort of ancient idea of what the Logos is and how the Logos functions. And here's how he says it. I want to go back to verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, and point this out to you. He says, In the beginning was the Word, that's the Logos, and the Word was with God, and there the Stoic philosophers and Philo of Alexandria would have agreed, yes, the Logos was with God in the very beginning, but then John crosses the line and says, and the Word was God. This is something that the ancient philosophers would not have agreed with. In fact, Philo of Alexandria refuted this idea directly. He said that that, that sort of architectural design for the world that God created was not God. It was simply a kind of expression of God's reason, God's rationality. But John does something really radically subversive here. He says that logos, that intention, that expression of God's goodness, God's rationality, God's mind, God's intentions, God's order even, was with God as God. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say this, and he, that is the Logos, was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. So again, this is that sort of created divine order behind everything that we see. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all people, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Well, who is it that John is talking about here? At this point, John is simply tapped into this old sort of philosophical debate about the order or the mind or the reason of God. And what we begin to see in verse 6 here is that John has a particular person in mind when he is describing this Logos. Verse 6, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this is, of course, John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to testify to that light so that all might believe through him. And now it's beginning to dawn on the readers of this gospel that John, in bringing in the character of John the Baptist, is actually saying that the divine Logos, the one who was with God at the very beginning, the one who was God from the very beginning, was no less than Jesus Christ himself. And we realize as we read through the rest of this gospel that John is making the rather bold and outrageous and completely irrational claim that this human being who came and walked on the earth, who called disciples to follow him, and who was crucified on a cross by the Roman Empire, that same person is the Logos, is that divine intention, is that ultimate reason that we call the Logos of God. Verse 10, John begins to reveal to us that this is exactly who he has in mind. When he says, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Now, now this is a monumental passage in the history of Christian theology and Christian tradition. Because one of the things that John chapter 1 does is it lays the foundation for this idea that Jesus is divine, that Jesus was more than just a human, that this, this entrance 
by God into humanity in the person of Christ is nothing less than an incarnation, the, the presence of God made flesh in our midst. And this is where we get this notion of a kind of Trinitarian God, a God who exists as Father and as Son. And then later in the book of Acts, it's revealed the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And it's a part of Christian tradition to view all three of those persons in some kind of mysterious way as being all a part of God and yet distinctive persons at the same time. This tips off a raging debate in the history of Christianity. Because, of course, it's impossible to imagine that the human being that we call Jesus, even the Christ, was somehow an expression of God, was God himself. And that has been a raging debate in Christian tradition and throughout Christian history. And in the first couple centuries of the church, it was a really severe debate. And this particular uh, gospel of John, in this particular chapter, and especially verse 1 in chapter 1, becomes a kind of battleground for this debate about who Jesus was and what it meant for Jesus to be both human and God at the same time. And blood has been spilled in Christianity over this debate, which I think is tragic and unfortunate. Because I think what John's doing here in John chapter 1 is not necessarily trying to impart some sort of objective fact to us that we have to assimilate or some kind of logic problem that we have to resolve. Instead, I think that what John is doing is he is very intentionally introducing to us a kind of paradox. A paradox, of course, is a contradiction or an apparent opposition of two ideas that can't possibly exist together, and yet somehow they are true. Well, here John is doing the very same thing. In John chapter 1, verse 1, when John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John is saying that the person of Jesus Christ existed as a human and as God and was with God from the very beginning. And in doing that, John gives us a paradox to think about. John says that Jesus represented this impossible idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man in the same person, and yet somehow in the midst of that impossibility reveals a bigger truth to us about who God is and who we're supposed to be. And the purpose of a paradox is not to solve it. In fact, the truth of a paradox is that it cannot be resolved rationally. It can't be solved like a math problem can be solved. We can't ever have a long enough or smart enough or passionate enough discussion about the hypostatic union of Jesus being 100% God and 100% man and the same person at the same time and ever really wrap our brains around it. That's not the point. It's important, I think, to, to realize that John is the mystical disciple, the mystical follower of Jesus. And John's gospel is the mystical gospel. It's a gospel that uses mystical tools like paradoxes to invite us to contemplate truths that we cannot understand rationally. And by contemplating these impossible truths without trying to solve them, 
Our minds are given access to transcendent realities that we otherwise would not be able to accept. That's what John is doing here. John's inviting us to reflect on the utter impossibility that Jesus was divine, that Jesus was God-made flesh. And this is something that we see all the time, that, that religious mystics use paradoxes as a way to challenge our rational minds and invite us to consider impossible truths on the other side of that. Jesus did this Himself. If you think about the Beatitudes, Jesus uses paradox in the Beatitudes when he says, Blessed are the poor, or blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are the meek. There's no rational way to resolve this idea that people who are abjectly poor, who cannot feed themselves, or people who have suffered loss and are in the midst of grieving the loss of their loved ones, or people who are weakened and battered and broken down somehow would inherit the earth. These are impossible ideas. And yet when Jesus gives us these ideas, he invites us to reflect on them to contemplate them in a way that's supposed to open our mind to the bigger truths in life. You know, 2020 has been a paradoxical year. One of the reasons why paradoxes are so helpful for us in our spiritual lives is because life itself so often involves impossible truths and unresolvable paradoxes. 2020 has been... By all accounts, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year for everyone. We have experienced incredible loss in the United States in the past 10 months. There are over 325,000 people in the United States who have now died of COVID. By the time we reach a year in two months from now, it's very possible that we will reach the milestone of a half a million Americans dead from this disease. That is more Americans dead in one year than have died in all American foreign wars combined. It's astonishing to think about the utter destruction that we have witnessed this year. And it's not just the dead, it's also the sick. So many who have COVID are suffering from unexplainable and really debilitating consequences even after they have recovered. And it's not just health problems. COVID has stalled our economy. It has destroyed small businesses. It's created enormous pockets of people who are isolated and lonely because they are shut up at home or in nursing homes or care facilities. It's created an entire workforce of people in the medical community who spend every single day burned out because of the death and destruction that they're facing. It's, it's been the worst kind of year, by all accounts. And yet, at the same time, I don't know about you, but for me, as I talk to people this year about how this year has been, alongside all of that tragedy and grief and challenge and suffering, I also hear so many of you telling me how blessed you have been this year. That this year, 
while you were forced to sequester yourself in homes in order to stay safe and keep your family members as safe as possible, that you have rekindled your relationship with your husband or your wife, that you are discovering new things about each other and forming tighter, closer bonds of intimacy than you've ever had before. Or so many of you have told me what a pleasure and a blessing it has been to spend so much time with your children. Many of you have told me that it has been an incredibly important year for you to kind of unplug and disconnect from the ongoing consumer rat race that is American society and American culture. And so many of you have told me this, that this year has been an incredible blessing while at the same time has been an incredibly difficult curse. And that is the paradox of life. It is impossibly true that 2020 has been a curse and a blessing at the same time. And when we speak about spirituality, when we speak about God in terms of paradoxes, it helps us to wrap our hearts around this idea that our brains really struggle to comprehend. But the real paradox, I think, that John is driving us to is not found in John chapter 1, verse 1, although that's the verse that tends to get the most attention. Instead, I think what John's doing is he is ironically taking this idea of the logos, this idea that life can be sort of rationally understood and rationally explained, and that everything about life has a kind of rational, ideal form behind it. He uses that very idea, attaches it to Jesus, creates a paradox that we can't understand, and he does that to drive us towards the real paradox that he wants us to reflect on. Because remember earlier I said, the problem with sort of platonic idealism as a philosophy is that it turns out to just really be a reflection or a projection of our own biases and our own desires and in many cases our own dysfunctions. But what John wants to do is he wants to strip away that sort of biased, dysfunctional ideal that we tend to create and he wants to point us towards what he thinks the real divine ideal of God and human life is. And we find that starting in verse 10 through verse 11, and here's what he writes. He's writing again about the Logos. He's writing about Christ here, and he says, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. And so the very Logos, the very expression of God that was the divine architect behind life that created all of this and all of us, you and me and everything that we love and care about, that very Logos came into the world to be with us and yet we didn't recognize him. Verse 11, he came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. And this is the second paradox that I think John really wants to point us towards. John wants to point out that when this divine form, when this sort of divine ideal came into our midst, we didn't recognize it. And the reason we didn't recognize it is because it didn't reflect our ideas of who God was or what God was supposed to be like or what God was supposed to do. Because, of course, when Christ came into the world, Christ did not come into the world the way we would expect 
a God to enter. We talked about this last week, but when Christ was born, Christ was born as a weak and frail human baby to relatively poor parents who were struggling to find shelter for the night on the way to a census. And Jesus grew to become a person that Old Testament scripture tells us was not somebody who was inherently attractive. In other words, when God entered into the world, God was nothing particularly special. And in fact, that God went on to associate with those that we would normally reject. That God went on to serve those who we would normally consider to be beneath us. God went on in the person of Christ to fight for those to speak for those, and ultimately to die for those that any normal, well-designed human society would push to the margins. In other words, the key paradox that John is driving us toward here is that when God entered the world, God did not enter the world as a kind of king or impressive deity, but God entered the world as a peasant, as a sufferer, as a servant, and as an outcast. And that is perhaps the greatest religious paradox of all, that God enters into our midst in a form that we want nothing to do with. I think David Bentley Hart puts it best in his book, The Beauty of the Infinite, when he talks about this very same idea. And here's what he says in this book. He says, The scandal of Christianity's origins, the great offense of this new faith, gave the gods of antiquity was a god who apparels himself in common human nature in the form of a servant who brings good news to those who suffer and victory to those who are as nothing who dies like a slave and an outcast without resistance who penetrates to the very depths of hell in pursuit of those he loves and who persists even after death, not as a hero lifted up to Olympian glories, but in the company of peasants, breaking bread with them and offering him the solace of his wounds. That is the God that we have been given as a gift. The God who enters into life not as an Olympian hero, not as the grand architect, not as somebody who resolves all of our problems, but rather as a sufferer, as an outcast, as a servant who comes alongside of us in the midst of our suffering so that we can still experience comfort and peace and joy. And that is the paradox of Christ and Christian spirituality. My question today for you is this, how has 2020 been a paradox for you? How have you experienced a kind of impossible truth this past year? How has it been a curse and a blessing at the same time? And my second question is related to that, and it's this, how have you found joy amidst the suffering in this past year? How have you discovered blessings and new life in spite of the curses and the death. That's all I have for you today. I hope that you are staying safe and well at home. I hope that you and your family members are keeping healthy. We are looking forward to the day when we can gather again and celebrate together face to face. Until then, 
Would you just pray with me? God, we thank you so much again for today for how these words from John's gospel inspire us and puzzle us and cause us to strain to understand how you can be present in the midst of our challenges, present in the midst of our suffering. We pray that you would make us into the kind of people who are able to do that for others, who are able to embody the paradox of life and the ability of our God to bring comfort as someone who has suffered. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Hey guys, it's Caden. Uh, welcome back. Glad to be speaking with you guys again. Um, I have a few announcements for you really quick for things that are upcoming for Oceanside Sanctuary in the community and for you guys. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. First off, as always, um, if you guys do want to connect with us and connect with Oceanside Sanctuary, go ahead and do so at um, www.oceansidesanctuary.org slash contact. Uh, that's going to be your best way to get in contact with any questions you have or any questions about things that are upcoming. Um, that you just need to find out more info for. Um, in addition, we have upcoming groups. The book club is gonna be on January 7th at 6.30 p.m. And the call and response group study is on January 21st at 6.30 p.m. as well. And you can RSVP online for the Zoom link for those. Um, we're gonna keep doing those through Zoom. Um, and then for the book club, the book is gonna be Love Matters More by Jared Bias. Um, and as I said, that's on January 7th, uh, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Zoom. Go ahead and get in contact to RSVP with us for the Zoom link. Um, the Biblical Scholar and Popular uh, Podcast Host of the Bible for Normal People by Jared Bias casts a new vision for the Christian life that's not built on certainty, but on the risk of love. Um, so if you guys have ever felt forced to choose between truth and love, acceptance and righteousness, um, this, book, this book offers a path forward beyond truth wars and legalistic religion to a love that matters more. Um, that sounds super awesome and really insightful for some of you guys that might relate to it. Um, and as I said, the call and response is on the 21st of January at 6.30. And that's our monthly scripture study group that approaches Bible study as a group dialogue, kind of like a call and response tradition found in sacred literature, um, liturgy, and music of all kinds. Um, for any of those um, calendar questions or trying to find the dates and times, you can go to oceansidesanctuary.org slash calendar for, um, for the call and response or for the book club. Um, our mission 2023 update, um, our newly proposed mission commitment is now posted on the website. You can find it under mission 2023 on the menu. Um, and we do want your guys feedback on that. It's a statement of our values, vision, mission, and priorities for the next three years, um, which is being renewed and, uh, make sure and mark your calendar for a congressional meeting, which is on January 31st at 10 AM. And that's going to vote on the approval of the new mission statement that I just mentioned. Um, lastly, we have uh, the MLK celebration. Um, the new anti-racism team invites you to join them for an MLK celebration online. That'll be hosted by um, the Pacific Southwest region of the Disciples of Christ. And that is on the 31st of January at 5 p.m. And you can also RSVP on the website as with the other, um, the other dates. Uh, lastly, if you do want to give to us, um, the link for that will be oceansidesanctuary.org slash give. And um, that's gonna be your easiest way to be able to go online and make your, um, to be able to give to us if you feel that you do want to do that. Um, and other than that, that's all the announcements that I do have. Um, so I hope to see you guys all soon. And as I said, I hope you guys are staying safe and everyone's been healthy, spending time with people that they love and going into the new year strong. Um, and we do hope that you guys have a good rest of this service.